Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week, through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. We're your hosts, Ned Hoke and Adam Lehman. And welcome, welcome back. This is Ned Hoke from Natural Methods Healthcare in Sonoma, California. As you've just been told, the name of our program is Health Matters, KSVY 91.3 Sonoma, and at ksvy.org on the net. We're here each Wednesday at this time for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. And today we have the special privilege of being joined by Mary Molly Bourne, forgive me, Molly, uh, who's the new director of the Hospice by the Bay, our local hospice. And we're going to get to talk about uh, all things hospice and all about our new full-time medical director, uh, recently of West Marin. She was somebody that I'd Actually, we'd shared patients when West Marin uh, some years ago, and uh, now she's come in to join us here in town. So, Molly, come up close to the mic and say hello to our, our customers, or our, <laughs> our clients, or our listeners. Hello. Thank he- you very much. Hello. Enjoy. Come in a little closer. Like I said. There we go. Now we go. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, you're most welcome. And if I could get this to work. There we go. Now, one more time. Hello. Hello. And thank there you for we, having me Good. Here. There we go. Good. I knew I'd get it if I just practiced. So anyway, uh, Molly is an MD doctor, and she has uh, she has been. Let's see, what, what can we say about her? She had been. Uh, we also went to UCSF, as I understand. That's right. I mean, I, I grew up actually in Marin County in Mill Valley. Mm-hmm, I went mm-hmm. to all public schools there, and then I went to UC Berkeley for undergraduate, and then I went to UCSF for medical school, and then I did. Actually, an OBGYN residency and then family medicine residency, both at Stanford. Ah. So, and uh-huh. then I decided that I wanted to come back to Marin County and chose West Marin to have my family practice. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you have children? I have children. And how old are those children? I have a daughter who's eight and a son who's six. Mm hmm. So you're kind of a pretty new mom. Yeah. Pretty new mom. And so you've got. How is it, Molly, being a mom and a doctor? Isn't that kind of a lot? It is kind of a lot. I'm lucky to have also a husband in my family. Oh, that's good. He's really good that's and good. helpful. Yeah, he works out. Yeah, yeah he's he's a really good parent. Uh-huh, and, um, uh-huh. and, you know, I did um, family medicine for eight years and left at 6 in the morning and came home at 7 at night and didn't see my kids. And one of the things about me changing careers or jobs was to get some more time with my kids mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for that reason. I mean, and they they were lucky to have my husband who was actually home when they got home from school and all those kinds of mm-hmm. things. But I was feeling jealous and wanting, feeling like I'm missing it and the years were going by. So Right, right. Well, it, it certainly makes perfect sense. I mean, when I think about, because I, of course, am sort of marginally familiar with the practice that you had in West Marin with Mike Witt, um, that's a pretty... It, it, it was a small town practice. Uh, uh, Mike Witt was a very respected senior practitioner who'd been around since way since w- when I moved to West Marin in the early seventies. Right. I mean, he was there, and he was he seemed old then, right? You know, and, <laughs> and so he must have been really old, you know, by now. I haven't seen him lately, but anyway, so he'd been there forever, had been kind of the 
the sort of the the center the center the center post of a wheel, if you will. Other people had kind of come. Then, of course, there was the the other clinic out there, the uh, coastal now called Coastal Health Alliance. So that you uh, so you bought into the oldest, most established practice in town, and mm-hmm. it I it it just must have been it must have been sort of a, I can understand the. The, the choice of buying into a deal like that where you think, okay, I'm going to go to West Marin and have a little practice. But then w- tell us, tell our listeners what happened and how it got – was it just too big from the beginning or did it all uh, – how did that work Well, out? it's interesting. It, it Part of it is how I practice medicine, which is um, sort of seeing the whole patient and taking care of the whole patient and their family in the community, which takes time <laughs> to do and not – this sort of model where you are constantly changing shifts and a different doctor sees you every time and um, you don't really get to know the patient very well and you've got five-minute appointments and and sort of the new model of medicine. I really tried to spend a lot more time with my patients. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't. Dr. Witt um, slowly over the years worked less and less, and I took all the call, so I was on call you know, 24 hours a day, Mm. and which I actually liked. I mean, I felt like I... I was there for my patients not only when they were well, but also when they were sick, which mm-hmm. I thought was really important because mm-hmm. I think that when people talk about continuity of care, I think it makes a huge difference. If not only have you known that person for five years, you also know their neighbors and their parents and their kids and who their support network is. You know their context. Is. You yeah, know, their whole you know who they're, the, who, whether they go to the Catholic Church or what they do. You know? right. So you really know who their support system is, and that's so important in medicine and even more now because – the hospital isn't doing that, and the labs aren't doing that, and all the other, you know, right. we're also fast-paced. Right. So I got, m- you know, more and more into it. And, and West Marin is geographically isolated from um, the rest of the county so that people don't want to go over to the hospital when they're sick. So they'd rather you see them or do home visits. So I did a lot of my own home visits. Mm-hmm. And it was just a wonderful experience. I mean, really rich in terms of learning how a small town works and seeing not the gossipy side of a small town, but really seeing the benefits of how people just take care of each other in a way mm-hmm. I had never seen. I mean, growing mm-hmm. up in Mill Valley, which when I was growing up was pretty small town, was nothing like they are in West Marin. I mean, the mm-hmm. people really you've got these like 100-year-old people who are still hiking by themselves, and, and then all of their neighbors know when they go hiking so that someone's checked to make sure they got back. And there's really a sense of community that I think we had maybe 50 years ago all over the United States, and we're losing, you know, we're, you mm. know, my parents don't know who their neighbors are anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you, mm-hmm. people are constantly moving in and out. Mm-hmm. So this is a, in a, over a, you say about an eight-year period, you were out out, out in that neck of the woods. And, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, I'm sure you probably, everybody said this to you hundreds of times, because there was so much appreciation for you as, as you, I mean, uh, and I, our listeners would Again, it, one of the reasons I asked Molly to come on today is because I had known, because I myself am a resident of that area, part-time resident, and um, everybody said, oh, Molly Bourne, oh, wow, this is the doctor we all wanted. This is the person we always wanted to have for a doctor because you were so you know, so thorough and you were so there and so present with your work. And so... Um, and of course, we shared some patients along the way, and uh, some will go unmentioned. But um, <laughs> you know, not to do anything wrong, but just because it wouldn't be polite, but uh, you know, appropriate, professionally appropriate. But at any rate, it was, and I didn't always agree with you in terms of certain things, you mm-hmm. know. And every so often, I'd squawk at you. But, but, but basically, I was when when the clients say so consistently 
how much they really under, they really appreciate with the kind of medicine you did. So the fact that you kind of totally enveloped yourself in the journey of what that was and discovered for yourself all of that and how all it, what it cost in terms of yourself as well as you know economically and so on. I mean that's kind of one of the things that when I, when I was at UC Medical School at, at uh, I was there in the early in the middle seventies mm -hmm. and uh, and. Uh, I was in with a group of people in in the group that I was part of. Uh, there were a lot of the idealists. There were a lot of the '60s idealists. They were who came back from the Vietnam War. The vets, or they were the. You see, was that at that time they were taking um, uh, people who had had not just you know the kind of they went to college and then went to medical school, but they people who'd had broad medical experience, physical therapists, uh, different kind of people who wouldn't normally have been in medical school because the medical school didn't usually admit those kind of people. But the, the part <laughs> that I was part of, they did. Mm -hmm. And so I was around all these different people who had all these kind of idealistic kind of uh, hopes and dreams toward the very thing that you ended up doing, mm -hmm. you know. And so I was sort of, yeah, I didn't st stay with that class. I mean, I just took some classes and then I moved on and did other things. But, um, and one of my classmates, my, in fact, my gross lab mate was um, um, Richie Carmona, who was Surgeon General of the United States wow. the, the last time. You know, Richard Carmona. Yeah, mm -hmm. anyway, he was wow. the one who badmouthed Bush uh, fairly <laughs> recently. And Richie, Richard, wow. Richard was a, was a, um, um, he was a Vietnam uh, medic, actually, nurse uh, and medic, and mm -hmm. uh, very interesting, uh, very, very hardworking. He was the gold, the golden cane of his year, mm -hmm. which I'm sure you know. I remember that, yeah. You know about the golden cane. What year did you graduate? Um, from medical school, 96. Yeah, yeah. That was about 15, 16 or 17 years before that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Wow. So, so anyway, interesting. So at any rate, um, so yeah, so we, I came with a group of those people, and, and then, of course, um, I don't know what any uh, what happened to most of them, but so tell me in your in terms of the class that you were part of. Just since we're talking old stories here, mm -hmm. did many of your classmates get a chance to do what you did? Go find that, that were interested. That, that did many of them go off into the woods and and do any of that or. I really, you know, I can't think of know? anybody who has. Right. I mean, most because you seem because I'm guessing you're a little bit unique. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that and that doesn't have to do with me so much that it just doesn't exist to do what I chose to do. Uh -huh. It's financially not feasible. I mean, what happened after eight years is I was getting up earlier every morning and <laughs> leaving work later every right. evening, and I was making less and less money. Right. And so then what I ended up doing was taking three extra jobs to supplement my income so that I could subsidize the clinic. <laughs> and one of them was hospice. I, oh, I did a bunch of work for hospice. that's how we got to hospice, yeah. And then one of them, Serenity Knowles, which is a chemical dependency place that I still work at. Mm -hmm. And one of them was Planned Parenthood. So I was doing these other sort of um, jobs to try to help supplement income. In my last year, which was 2007, mm -hmm. um, I did the math, and it turned out if I just did those three jobs, I would make more money than I was doing those three jobs and the clinic, and I would have a lot more free time and time to be with my children. Uh -huh. So I sort of said, I don't want to do that. And, and when I announced that to the community, the community said, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> we, where are we going to find somebody? Because yeah. there wasn't anybody. And right. I had been looking for a long time because um, we had a waiting list. I had to stop seeing new people, which mm -hmm. in a geographically isolated place, it's very hard to turn people down. But I had to stop seeing new patients because mm -hmm. we were 
um, so busy. So I had been looking for about three years before I finally closed to find somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I couldn't pay anybody a, a competitive salary. And people w just would come and go, oh, this is so great. This is such a beautiful place to live and nice patients and everything wonderful about it. But I still nope, have my nope. medical school bills no and dough. family. Yeah. And there's yeah. no place to live because everything costs a million dollars. So. Right. Right, right. That's sort of what, what ended up happening. So uh -huh. it was sad. But if I had to do it again, I probably wouldn't have done it. And so I feel really glad I didn't know what was going to happen because I got so much out of it. It was so much. It's a wonderful community, and I learned a lot of medicine and a lot about human nature. Well, it's <laughs> really running It's running a gauntlet. I mean, it, it's and, – and you got through the other end, and now you get a chance to, to – uh, to be part of a, a different a different kind of work. So, so right. Molly, tell us a little bit about. You said you started with hospice, and you know, on a part time basis to kind of supplement your you know your income and so on. Mm -hmm. So, tell us as you tell us about how you first got involved with how, not just at an organizational level, but sort of on a sort of emotional or mm -hmm. practical level. Tell us about your sort of your move toward the hospice way of doing business, if, mm -hmm. you, if you can. Okay. Yeah. So I don't remember, I mean, you could think about when you went to medical school, but I don't remember having any training in end of life, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. except for that we dissected a dead cadaver. You know, on I mean, that on, was the, like on the, the seventh floor, yeah. <laughs> the closest we got to death. Um, it was interesting, though. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, and they did, actually, at UCSF have a uh, mass funeral for all of the bodies. I don't know if they did mm -hmm, your year, mm -hmm, but they mm -hmm. did, and people sang, mm -hmm. and we did all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But... Um, but I don't remember learning anything about hospice, and so I have a feeling where I learned about it was in West Marin mm -hmm. with patients of mine. Um, you know, somebody would suggest hospice, and probably not me because I didn't know anything about it. And at that time, there was a hospice nurse who was just wonderful who would come in and sort of tell me how my patients were who were um, dying. And, and for people who don't know hospice, generally the, the rule is that your physician has said that you have a six-month prognosis, so you have a terminal illness, and you have less than six months to live. And so once you meet that criteria, anybody can refer. So a family member can say, I want hospice services, or a physician can, or social worker, whoever can say. Well, yeah, so it's a big open door. It's a big open door, which is so nice. And ultimately, your physician has to sign saying, yes, mm -hmm. you are six, you know, that's the six-month prognosis rule. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, So I got involved that way. But what would happen is a patient of mine who I cared about and I had been taken care of would get a terminal illness and have a six-month prognosis, and they, I found them going to this amazing organization that really took care of them until they died in a way that I feel I went to medical school to do. I mean, the way that I think doctors took care of people 100 years ago, where they involved the community, they involved the spiritual counselors, they involved the... Um, you know, social workers and the community and volunteers to really take care of a person. Here was this organization that was making up for, in our sort of frenetic world, m making up for that lost part of our community. And I was so impressed because that's really what I wanted to do. You know, my we didn't get into this, but my grandfather um, is a physician and so is my father. And my grandfather was in Virginia in a small town and he did everything because he was it mm -hmm. and all home visits and oh, all so the deaths you, you, so and you everything. you have a real lineage here. Yeah. yeah. So I used to, as a kid, go on these home visits with him and you'd go out and these people would, these poor people in Virginia would have, say, a peach orchard or a cantaloupe 
you know, farm or whatever, and they'd load up the back of his truck with whatever, and he'd go see them, and there wasn't a whole lot to do because they were dying. And so he did all of that himself. Mm -hmm. And, of course, all of them were church-going, so there was also a, a preacher who would come out. And then there was this huge community that supported. So they all came in, and they were bringing their casseroles and doing all the stuff that n- n- I saw hospice doing. And and that was the kind of physician that I wanted to be as well. And so it was sort of a nice match. And so I actually contacted Hospice. Hospice by the Bay used to be Hospice of Marin. It's now Hospice by the Bay because it's in Sonoma, San Francisco, and Marin County now. So Hospice, it's sort of outgrew well, they, its they, name. They bought, they bought Sonoma Valley Hospice. They bought Valley, Valley of the Moon, Moon Hospice in 92, and they bought the San Francisco one in, in 03. This is what the what the website said. Good. Then, yeah. it, then it must be true. must be so. <laughs> yeah. But they also built this Fancy new building in Larkspur too. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if we, if, if uh, Aaron told you your publicist, but you know Mary Taverna was on our program a oh. um, year and a half ago. Uh-huh. So some of our listeners who may have caught that show as well, she was, of course, she's obviously a very good talker. She, she about, is hospice. Yeah, she is hospice <laughs> exactly. But this is this this story that you're telling us today is is of course the very thing that our listeners want to know about. Who the new medical director of hospice is, where you come from, the story you've just told us is the is the very story because so many of us here in this little town really we still think of ourselves as being in a fairly little town even though it's getting awful fancy. <laughs> it's still kind of a little town, and we we want to know that uh, there's a doctor as we get to our whether our parents or ourselves we get to the end of life where who understands the basis of the kind of care that you're talking about. So this is very good news for our, our community, that the thing you're telling us, that you come with this lineage from your father and from your grandfather that, and also from your own experience of, 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 of you know, you know, knee-deep backcountry you know, medicine in right. West Marin. I mean, so you have all the experience we, we want you to have to come and be with us here in Sonoma. So uh, we're, we're glad you came. Good. Well, me too. Yeah, I'm very yeah. glad. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, Maybe we should talk a little bit. Actually, we've got to take a break in just a minute. After the break, we, I, I want to let our listeners have a chance to talk with you on air here. So we'll give them a call, our call-in number after the break. Not now, but after the break, 933-9133. We will take calls for any questions you might have for the new uh, medical director of uh, Hospice by the Bay in Sonoma Valley. And also, you're down in Marin, you say, as well? Yes. And she's, uh, she's, she's with us today, and we're talking about her background and what hospice is about. And then after the break, we'll talk a little bit about kind of the foundations of hospice and a little bit about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and some of the, the, old, the old voices, the, the pioneers of hospice, they're called. Because I think that, at least that's for me, when I started hearing about this, and I thought, now, my gosh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And I was so impressed with what the, the principles of hospice, even though I had no sense of it as a practical matter. So... That said, why don't we go ahead and take our break, and we'll have a, they'll take a few announcements, and we'll then be able to come back with you. And then at the end of the program, I want to mention that we are going to be talking about the uh, meeting for the campaign for the Department of Peace this coming, this actually this very evening at the library. There's a meeting with uh, all the all the folks at the Sonoma Valley Library at 6:30 to 8:30. I'm going to be reading a statement about that meeting, so please stay tuned for the end of the program. We'll be talking about that. In the meantime, we're happy to have you with us here at Health Matters. We're at KSVY 91.3 in Sonoma. Always happy to have you with us. Please stay with us for this past the break, and we'll be back with you very soon. Thank you. Tonight on the town, on the 20, hear what's happening in Sonoma. Hey, it's Ken Brown from Mornings in Sonoma. It's tonight on the town, Wednesday, March 12th. Gunlock Bunchu Winery is celebrating. 
Tonight on the Town on the 20. Hear what's happening in Sonoma. Hey, it's Ken Brown from Mornings in Sonoma. It's Tonight on the Town, Wednesday, March 12th. Gunlock Bunchu Winery is celebrating its 150th year anniversary today from 11 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. For more information, you could visit them on the web at www.gunbun.com or call them at 939-3015. The Community Services and Environmental Commission meets tonight at City Hall, 7 p.m. up on the second floor. You could call City Hall at 938-3681. And for more information about everything going on in the Valley, click on our complete calendar of Sonoma Valley events. Use the handy red Sonoma Now button found on the top left of our Sonoma Sun web portal at ksvy.org. You can even submit your own event all from Three House Multimedia and your community radio station, KSVY 91.3 FM, right here in Sonoma Valley. This is Pather Dalton on behalf of the Sonoma Valley Rotary Club inviting you to the first St. Patrick's Day annual celebration at the Community Center on St. Patrick's Day, Monday evening at 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. You are welcome to be part of the cabbage, corned beef, music and dancing and spuds and all kinds of celebrations that will be taking place. Ah, but listen, this is the prize. A fantasy raffle ticket that is at your disposal. Tickets are available at the door the evening of the celebration, the 17th of March at 5 o'clock. Readers, books, Sonoma Valley Sun, or for further information, please call 933-0101. Sláinte. The Parents' Hospital Association, representing the residents of Sonoma Developmental Centre, will be hosting their annual fundraiser at the Klein Winery on Saturday, 29th of March. Heroes with Heart, an evening in the Emerald Isle, features a gourmet dinner, followed by an auction where guests can bid for wonderful products and services. The money raised produces special wheelchairs, shoes, and advocates for residents. If communities are judged by the way they take care of the least in their midst, then Sonoma Valley can be top of the list. If you'd like to know more, call Ken Brown on 938-8623. KSVY. Sonoma. And welcome back to, this is Ned Hoke today uh, with Molly Bourne, Dr. Molly Bourne, MD. She's the new medical director of our version of, or the, actually the co-director of uh, uh, Hospice by the Bay, which replaced uh, Valley of the Moon Hospice a good number of years ago. And uh, Molly's a brand new uh, director. She's just actually, have you actually begun to work? Uh, February 1st. February 1st. Okay, so you're just 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 pulled on your spurs, as, as the saying goes. Right. So now, of course, for our listeners who may not be familiar, uh, the value that, or the Hospice by the Bay is quite a substantial organization. They have, uh, according to their website, they have 275 employees. Mm-hmm. This is a major operation. And, and to have taken over the Valley of the Moon Hospice here in town, to have taken over the one in San Francisco, this must be a very ambitious organization as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you can say anything about that part of it, but it sounds to me like they've, they've done this just huge amount of growing. And what, what, what is their intention? Do you have any sense about that at all? Right. It's very exciting. Um, there are many people in, um, you know, Hospice of Marin started 
um, something like 33 years ago. It's been right. here for a while. Right. And, it, and Marin County is fairly saturated in terms of people being taken care of when they're dying. But Sonoma County and um, San Francisco County, there are people who are dying without hospice care, mm-hmm. people who are wanting to die in their homes but end up dying in the hospital, which is the most common complaint about somebody's death. Mm. And hospice can help with that. And so it's really exciting to me. The, the growth is really because of a demand. Mm-hmm. And the organization is lucky enough to have some really smart people who know how to do that because, boy, it's really hard. We, we've grown from an agency that had a part-time medical director to the last couple of years. We've had a full-time medical director. And then just this year, because we've grown so much, we now have two full-time medical directors. Um, and the numbers just keep going up and up mm-hmm, and up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're sort of juggling that and trying to do our best to, to really get our services out to as many people need it. Mm-hmm. So I find it just amazing and really exciting to be mm-hmm. part of to mm-hmm. watch that happen because it's such a great organization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and of course the the just in the same way that lots of medical people really kind of they just they love the birth end and they love the death end interesting <laughs> enough people really like to be working with dying people there's a lot of a lot of rich stuff there and a lot of rich stuff in birth and then there's that long space in between which is sort of a little more awkward for many people but so for those of, who are listeners who may not realize that it's actually true that there really are and I don't say that people are are in any way wrong about it but they they really do gravitate there there is a lot of rich rewards to participating in the dying process of people mm-hmm. and I think maybe we could start to no, I was looking, I guess we don't have a call um maybe you could Talk a little bit about your experience without obviously putting any names to anything or invading anybody's privacy or even your privacy as well. But um, uh, maybe we should start talking a little bit about the the dying process and and how hospice is is different that in your experience in in your presence in your hands and in, in in your guidance. How talk about the process of dying a little bit and how hospice really is a different experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think culturally, and I'm going to be, I'm going to generalize, but our country is really fearful of discussing death at all. Mm-hmm. And we do this thing. I mean, if you look around at other countries and other cultures, um, they have sort of a way to approach death that is much um you know, more satisfying than what we do, which is to not talk about it. And then when it happens, we whisper about it. We don't involve children at all in it, which would be an opportunity for them to learn how to deal with it so that they could approach their own death with a different attitude. Mm. We really hide away from it. And what what hospice does is sort of help with that process. And And some people believe that if you, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Eberly, but he works I actually. Am. Yeah, so... Yeah. You know, he has this um, book out. Uh, Wonderful book, too. I, he was on yeah. the show, actually. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's actually a partner. His partner, Meredith Little, is a, from a family that I grew up with in Minnesota. So, and, and, and I'm quite friendly with Scott. And he's, oh, okay. and he's a wonderful teacher, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So tell her, yeah, but so, forgive I mean, me for interrupting. Just, yeah. the t- just forgetting everything Final else Crossing, about Scott, the, the Final Crossings is the name of the book. Well, and, then, and, and, and learning, to li- learning to die in order to live. Ah, there it is. With the idea that, you know, it's not, it's not just the death. It, it hospice... You know, in my mind, hospice is there for the whole family friend unit mm-hmm. so that they're benefiting not just this person who's dying, 
but also everybody who's going through that process so that they can say, thank you, I love you, forgive me, I forgive you, goodbye, all of those things, which we need to be doing on a daily basis, whether you're dying or not. Mm. And we don't do very well. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a culture that really knows how to do that very well. And, um, we, you're saying we have an emotionally and psychologically constipated culture? Is that what I hear you say, Doctor? I, I know it's really hard to believe. I, well, I just wanted <laughs> to be sure I understood what you were saying. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, so, um, and what's so neat about the hospice model that, again, goes back to what I was saying about, I think this is what it used to be like when you had a small town and there were only so many people there and everyone was looking out for each other and benefited from each other in different ways, um, is that it really is a team approach. So you have a medical director um, you have so every patient, however they're referred, every client that becomes a hospice um, client, is assigned a social worker, counselor, volunteer, home health aide, um, doctor, nurse. Um, they have a whole host of um, complementary medicine that they have volunteers also that they have access to, and so there's this whole team to help them with that process of dying. Um, and and again, the people who benefit from that are not just the dying person, but also all the people in the family around um, that person. And I, I just like the way that, that, that they can address all of the issues that come up that people don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to extract a little bit more detail. You're saying that, that in, your, in, your, in, in this team approach, you're saying that, that all the members of the the relational environments or whatever their relations may be have access to participate supported by a hospice environment you're saying mm -hmm. and you're so i'm gathering what you're saying is is that is that for instance uh, somebody is in like i said in that 6 month window and they are part of hospice now so what happens then is somebody is visiting them on a regular basis somebody is communicating with their loved ones or the people with whom they're related in such a way so that they're 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 obliged they're they're, they're they have permission to give accurate information to to everybody so that everybody's on the same page in terms of what status the person is is, is in in terms of what their health is about right. and then there's this business of 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 um the caregiving part um how is the caregiving now, I guess I want you, I'm looking sort of setting you up to say that this is, you know, this is palliative care. I'm sort of taking you toward down, down that road rather than, rather than, in fact, I was, as I, as I was saying to you before the show, my own mother died this last weekend. And so I was part of a hospice thing just immediately this, within the last 72 hours or wow. so, so I, and I had a, had a hospice experience directly myself. And I noticed that the, the nurse and the caregivers were all, were, infused with a participatory environment which was different than I would have normally expected in a in an environment. In fact, the, the, the nurse kept, and when I kept telling her about, let's make sure this gal keeps up her electrolytes. I'm, I'm not going to let her, you know, you know uh, die of dehydration or, mm -hmm. and she said, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. But she said, you know, we are, di we are dying here. She reminded me. And I said, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, we, we agree. But at any rate, the, the, there was a it, the, the, there were the attitude was one of help, helpfulness. Mm -hmm. That was the thing, rather than authority. I mean, probably that was the most immediate thing that I noticed the difference in terms of my experience of even being a medical practitioner myself. My my experience of the situation was is that the medicalness of the whole thing was helpfulness in spades. It was all about helpfulness rather than about intervention, rather than about trying to 
get in there and wrestle with the big disease or whatever it was. So is, is, is that a lot of what it is? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the goal is to make sure that somebody has a comfortable and dignified death mm-hmm. and that they are really responsible for telling us what they want in their death. Mm-hmm. And there are people who want to die in the hospital. There are people who want to die at home, people who want to die without a whole bunch of people around them, there are people, and people who want to be surrounded by their loved ones, people who want to make it back to Hawaii for their death. Mm-hmm. Whatever the issue is, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of listening that goes on. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not, again, it's not always medical. Sometimes the problem is, you know, cancer all over the body and they're in tremendous pain and there's a lot of sort of medical, medical, drug, right. drug, drug right. talk. Right. And sometimes that's not the issue at all. There's a daughter who hasn't talked to her father for the last 15 years mm-hmm. and there's a lot of grieving and um, growth as a result of that interaction that maybe the social worker or therapist would come out and and be more helpful or the spiritual counselor as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, you're exactly right. It's sort of seeing where the gaps are and trying to come in and, and be as helpful as poss- possible. Mm-hmm. And, again, what's so attractive to me, having done family medicine for so long, is that I think that all by itself, even though it's not considered aggressive treatment and it's more palliative, which is comfort care, that itself ha- has a tremendous therapeutic value. Um, and... And that's something that I just don't see in other areas of medicine. And I wish that the intensive care unit had a team like a hospice team, whether mm-hmm. they're dying or not. I wish uh, that all of them were caretakers. In other words, they had people who were not just focused on the technique of medicine, but were actually on the on the caregiving equation of the right. whole thing. Right. And of course, that so much of the time that falls on nurses in the hospital environment, at least in my experience. And right. of course, nurses are so busy, stretched out in so many directions. And of course, many of them are, are very big-hearted people who try to provide that kind of warmth care that you might say. But at the same time, they have so many obligations, technical obligations with regard to monitoring the care of the various numbers of people they have under their charge and so on. Right. And and of course, there's a whole, in the hospital, there's a whole sort of technic environment. So the whole thing is sort of built around Right. The machines and the, you know, those kinds of things. Well, and it's much easier to respond to a number than it is to ask anything about the daughter who you haven't talked to for 40 years. Right. So that takes a lot of time, and people just don't have time for that. So it's right. much more easy to focus on the right. technical. And if we have a culture where we don't talk about stuff like this, it it It, it makes doesn't it get much, talked about. It does yeah. not get talked about. So. So how, where do you stand, for instance, on universal health care? I mean, are you somebody that thinks that that's a good idea, basically? Um, I do think that the insurance companies are a problem. Um, okay. I, I definitely do. I would love to see a universal health care. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I would love to see single payer. I don't think it's the entire answer. Yeah. Um, because Nor the, do I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we still need to remember this the stuff that I'm saying here about taking care of people and listening to people. Those mm-hmm. are not reimbursed in general. And right. Are reimbursed in hospice, and that's where if we could use hospice as actually ah, an example model, right. because it is cheaper. Yeah. It's cheaper than going to the intensive care unit and um, going to the hospital, going in and out of the hospital over and over again because nobody heard your complaint the first six times you went. Um, it's a cheaper way of doing stuff, um, but they do need to make sure if we do have a universal health care system that listening is reimbursed, mm. and that's not being reimbursed by any of the insurance companies now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it can only get better by being single-payer health plan because what I understand is that insurance companies' advertising is about 30% of their um, – you know, money. They, they is want to going cap. Towards. They want to capture new, new, new. Cl- yeah, because so, because right. people turn over quite quickly, and so that they right. they can't be thinking about long term care be, or long term 
in long-term preventative medicine because the patients, everybody's you know cycling through the system so exactly. quickly that there's no there's no there's no there's no business case to be made for uh, them to be looking out for people, but but it's just to get them in, get them out, right. you know, get them the drugs, get them you know, blah blah blah. Right. So, do you think? Let's talk about then the profit motive. Let's see about the, the. Do you think that the profit motive then is a, a, a in, in itself is a is a problem in medicine a lot? You know, I think the problem is that the people the people who are benefit from a medical therapeutic relationship are the doctor and the patient. Mm. So the doctor is, um, you know, having a rewarding, meaningful job, and the patient is hopefully either, you know, either getting better or dealing with their health issues. Neither of those people are in charge of the way that the money goes. And it turns out that patients are willing to pay for services. They pay, they often pay um, more than they pay to see, say, me in the office. They'll pay for other services that um, don't necessarily cure their cancer but make them feel better. Mm-hmm. So, um, that aren't covered by insurances. So, and, and also when I left my practice, people said, I'm willing to pay you. I, mm-hmm. You know, please don't go. We, we don't right. care about this. The system sucks, but right. we need a doctor here. So, I, I'm not sure. And, and I look at like my grandfather, for example, who saw everybody and the people who couldn't afford to pay paid him in vegetables. And that worked out for him. You yeah. know, it was rewarding. He felt like they were appreciative. He felt like he got to do, and he lived an okay life. And certainly in his town, he probably made more money than most of the people in the town. The town I was working in, I probably made less money than most of the people in the town. Really? So here we have the system that is set up to pay for health care, and it's really failing. So yeah. I'm not sure that it's really, you know, if you're going to have a business model, you have to say, what does the customer want? And nobody's asking what the customer wants. It's mm-hmm. what the insurance companies want. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, and I'm hoping that you know, if we had a universal health plan, it would be sort of like Medicare. And Medicare is not perfect at asking what the customer wants, but they 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 might do a better job than Blue Cross arguing with Blue Shield and Kaiser. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, the 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 problem with Medicare, as as is pointed out by another one of my guests not too long ago, is is that Medicare is just a is just a payment system. It's not really a, it doesn't have any principles of care. Right. It's just it's just simply an accounting pr- project. And so the the missing part for me and the part that I've argued in the various places in many ways, and I used to write big letters to the British Medical Journal because they were interested in talking about what medicine was for, was that that, that, that the question of what is medicine itself? What is it, what is it, what does it consist of? And to only talk about the industrial part of medicine, or the, whether it's the, the commerce part, is to miss a lot of what is just what you're saying, the, the listening part. That's, there's no, there's, you know, if there's if if that doesn't have any product, if there's no profit to be made on it, well, then it can't obviously can't be a consider can't be considered a really a very essential part of the whole operation if you think only industrially. Right. So that said, we're going to need to take a break again, another minute. We're going to then we're going to come and talk some more about some of the history of of, of hospice, and we'll talk a little bit more about Molly's plans for our hospice here in town. So please stay with us here at KSVY ninety one point three Sonoma. Ned Hoke today with Molly Bourne, the new medical director, Dr. Molly Bourne. She's the new medical director of Hospice by the Bay here in Sonoma Valley, which used to be Valley of the Moon Hospice for those of you who've been in town for a while. And we'll come back with you in just a minute. So please stay with us. And thanks for listening. Always happy to have you.
At Sonoma Developmental Center, there is a community of people working together toward a common goal of improving the lives of people with developmental disabilities and making a positive difference in our world. We are looking for people of many different disciplines to be a part of this exciting community. The employment opportunities include level of care nursing professionals, mental health professionals, law enforcement, tradespeople, and many other vocations. For more information about employment opportunities with the State of California at Sonoma Developmental Center, please contact us at area code 707 Hi, this is Mr. P for 91.3 KSVY inviting you to tune in every Wednesday night for Mr. P's Rock and Roll Riot. It's a music show jam-packed with fast-moving, hard-hitting rock and roll for people who like it loud and proud. Make no bones about it, lots of screeching guitars and banging on the drums. The kind of music your mother used to warn you about. And I can usually get in 10 or 11 tracks each hour. So listen in on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 after the guys at 5 and count them. If I don't get that many in, call me here at 933-9133 and I'll buy you a box of Juicy Fruits or something. KSVY. Sonoma. And welcome back. You're talking with Dr. Ned Hoke, and I'm joined today with Dr. Molly Bourne. She's the, as I said before the break, she's the new medical director of Hospice by the Bay here in Sonoma Valley and also in down in Larkspur. And we've been talking a lot about her history and about the sort of her feelings about, uh, well, we were just talking before the break, we were talking about commercial medicine and how really that kind of tends to choke off so much of the really this, the really necessary software of what healthcare really needs to be and wants to be to be a really human service. And we were talking about how I guess we both agree that uh, single payer, while it might be a good thing as a, in a way, it is by no means the whole answer because, but the, the, one of the advantages, as Molly was saying, was one of the really the beauties of the hospice principle is that's really the kind of health care many of us really need and want. And of course, given that the, the tremendous growth that uh, that you that your organization has had, and now, like I say, you're up to you know 275 employees. You've got this whole foundation and so on. That and it says here in your in your website, it says that 80 percent of your additional support that you're not getting from Medicare comes from individual gifts mm-hmm. so that you really, really are out there on the on the edge of, of public. You know, people, have, people have to like you mm-hmm. or, or you're not going to be able to do it because you're, t- you're working with people who do not have the funds to have to pay for this service. And these services, there's a lot of services that come with hospice. So maybe we should talk a little bit about what some of those services are to be a little bit more schematic than we've been so far. Tell our listeners about, we sort of said there's spiritual and there's this and that, but 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 talk a little bit more. You know, you're the medical director, so somebody comes in and and somebody as they want to stay at home. They have a a difficult medical condition. So tell our listeners a little bit about what that what kind of how that person will tend to access those services and what those services are. Mm-hmm. So the any um, client who comes on our service is assigned automatically a nurse, a social worker, a spiritual co- counselor, a volunteer, health home health aide and then give it offered um, uh, complementary medicine. Um, and, and complementary medicine means things like I do, you mean? Um, acupressure, not ac- acupuncture, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Reiki, massage, there's really? um, pet therapy, there's healing touch, there's um, guided imagery. Good Lord. There's some really exciting things. And in fact, um, 
when Hospice of Marin was just in Marin, um, which it had been there for years and years, um, it's real rich there. We're trying to expand more of the complementary is this medicine. Only, this, these complementary services, forgive me for staying on my own part of here, a mostly volunteer basis? Or yes. These, yes, that's what I figured. It yeah. is volunteer. Yeah. Right. Um, but all the volunteers are, you know, they're, they're, they're not just put in there willy-nilly. You know, they're, oh, yeah. they're trained. And, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are volunteers also who, you know, will go, get your groceries and do whatever you need. I mean, mm-hmm. there's ones that will play the harp for you. I mean, there's all kinds of mm-hmm. really cool things that go on um, wow. at hospice. So you're assigned this team, and that team meets every week and talks about you. Mm-hmm. And they also check in with you. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody who says, you know what, I don't want all those people in my house. I'm actually right. doing okay. I just really want something to help me with my pain. Mm-hmm. Then the nurse is the one who's talking to you. Right. And maybe the other people check in by phone and sort of see what you need. But mm-hmm. as your needs change, though, mm-hmm. you have a relationship with those people, and, and you can use them as you need. And, and, and like I was saying before, some clients' pain is the biggest issue, and so it is more of a medical approach mm-hmm. to end of life, but um, more often than not, there is social stuff that's going on. Um, you know, you don't have to have a totally dysfunctional family to have it be very hard to lose a loved one. Mm-hmm. And so, and it, you don't have to be, you know, 24 for it to be sad either. Right? You mm-hmm. can be 95 and really be hard for everybody in the family. And so the other people who can come in and be helpful, um, you know, we use our social workers quite a bit mm-hmm. and counselors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so people get a chance to to actually visit with somebody and to to talk over things in their life that there's unfinished for them perhaps or that they feel unfinished about they get a chance to relate to somebody on an open-hearted way and and there's somebody who's there their their purpose is to be there to hear them with whatever those needs may be exactly mm-hmm. and and one of the coolest things in terms of you know going to medical school you don't get a lot of um, <laughs> spiritual stuff right so to watch our we call them spiritual counselors, not chaplains, because they're not, um, you know, they're non-denominational. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but if, you know, you say you want a Tibetan funeral or you want whatever the issue is, mm. um, the spiritual counselor will figure out how you can have that. And wow. and so we learn a lot when we sounds go like to these Sounds like Make-A-Wish. It sounds like, you know, the Make-A-Wish fund. It yeah. sounds like, sounds like a, a kind of a, com- a big wonderful make a wish yeah oh and, and and for us it certainly makes it invigorates our whole team just to hear the different choices that people make and right. what they want and to really honor that and respect you know sometimes people make choices that i personally wouldn't make right um but to hear that it was what they wanted and have them go through it and do it i just I, i'm really proud to be part of that yeah i know? would think so i would think so because you know when of course when did that happen before when did you get to be the center of the ten- center of so much attention right. when when did you when did somebody say well now what do you really want you know right. not, you stop pretending right. now you know you say oh no i don't want anything oh, but what do you really want you know and then you they'll say well i really want an ice cream cone or whatever right. it is you know i mean right. i want somebody to hold my hand you know i mean it's it in when i i used to be involved in psychology years ago and and it was interesting when when we we took people's defense mechanisms off and and we we got again and again and again and asked all these people who had all kinds of big so they they imagined themselves having all kinds of heavy psychological unfinished business and 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 you as you peeled back the layer further and further a lot of times they wanted somebody to hold their hand they mm-hmm. wanted somebody to they wanted somebody to go to the movie with them they wanted i mean it was so interesting when and 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 they thought they had all these 
deep maladies, these deep psychological. But what they had was a lot of resistance, and they had a lot of anger about not being heard, right. and all that kind of stuff. So the very thing you're talking about, in in I was an excellent person. I lived, you know, the place yeah. in Big Sur. Yeah, wow. I, I lived there for a few years at the late '60s, and and I got a chance to work with people in a group process basis, and and to see people who thought they were really psychologically really screwed up and in really, really deep trouble and they were going to spend the rest of their lives being, you know, neurotic or whatever it was. They just had needs. Right. You know, and and, and it's it's so it's fun to hear you say that, that now that, that at least some of those people, probably some of the people in Marin for that matter, right. who were there even or you know right. they they're gonna now at the, now at the, when they're whatever their age they are, when they're getting closer to the death, they're actually gonna be able to get back down to that level again where they say, Well I I want somebody to hold my hand. I want somebody to hear that I am still mad at my mother for whatever it is. Right. I want somebody to not judge me because I'm I'm scared of my dying or I'm I want somebody to understand me in some way that have I haven't been understood or something like that or I want to be able to talk about those things. Right. And I mean for, for to get to give people an opportunity to really open up. And of course at the that the dying process in that dying time what a, what a what a great time to be doing that right it's really a, a, a high christian gift one could call it i would think mm-hmm. although it would be nice to do it all the time you know this yeah. is why i really want to get this model out there to not just the last six months yeah because yeah. it's it's so important and one of the they just did this big study of patients with hospice care yeah all they're getting is comfort they're getting no by definition they're right. not getting aggressive treatment right. and those people if you match them for the same diseases and the same ages yeah. and all that stuff. Those people are living a lot longer. Uh-huh. So just holding people's hand and right. making them comfortable right. is more than they've been getting for a long time. That's it. And it's actually making and some people we discharge from hospice because they're improving. Uh-huh. And that it, you know, and these are people who are in and out of the hospital super sick mm-hmm. and then they say, Okay, you know what, I think you should stop keep going back to the hospital. We'll put you on hospice and then they suddenly get the care that they need <laughs> And then they get better, and that says a lot about our health system. Right, I think. I, right. mean, I think that I think that's we should enshrine that one, that last <laughs> comment there. At least a shrine, maybe too big a word, but <laughs> but so anyway, so the caregiving that you are able to participate in is the very kind of caregiving that you really feel, with all your experience and history of background, is is really the kind of thing that that so many of us need. So, what do you suppose it's going to take for us? in our culture here too. I mean, I just be be God for a minute and, and what's it gonna take for us to make that transition to sort of understand that, that so much of what we we really need in our healthcare isn't just a new machine. It isn't a new C T scan. It isn't uh, it isn't even necessarily a lot of money. It's uh, and how how are we gonna move from the sort of money centered healthcare environment to a human-centered healthcare environment. Tell us, Doctor Boyne. Yes, I know. Well, <laughs> this is this is my goal. If I okay. do anything in my career, I would really like to get. Okay. I mean, again, I I think I think the angle is to have patients say what they want. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and that means you know we're we're just so puzzled by how you're supposed to vote because they're not talking a language that we can understand. Healthcare reform. It doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. what you when you go to the doctor, that's a totally different thing from these sort of numbers that they're putting mm-hmm. on the ballot. So mm. um, it is to really somehow get a revolt from patients because they're unhappy. We the need doctors are unhappy we and need, the patients are yeah. unhappy. And they're the two parties in a doctor-patient relationship, mm-hmm. period. We don't need all these other administrators and, and oh, people. Oh, I see. I so. see. 
We'll see. But I do think hospice might be one of the models because they're studying it so much, and it, it, it obviously works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people are happy, and they're donating money, you know. And Thank they're, you. And they're donating money. Thank you. They're donating yeah. money. So uh, can, people, can people just reach you right here in Sonoma? Can people actually call and ask to have a visit with you directly? Absolutely. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're right near the square on West Napa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're welcome to walk in mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you have any questions about And you do have a little library over there for people uh, at all? to look at or not, not not at that site not at that site this site's pretty small the okay. the one in Marin County is is much larger um, and and if you if you are not hospice appropriate right. you can still have a visit where people we call it an informational where people give you information about our services mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so that's probably better to call and to schedule okay. a time mm-hmm. where you really get an idea of what we do so there is somebody there willing to take your call or willing to take a drop-in person person can come over and what's the address of West Napa again? 170. 170, which is just next door. I know, isn't that <laughs> Right great? where we are. <laughs> so uh, you could come over and be on the radio as well. As, but uh, anyway, you, <laughs> could, you can go see Molly Bourne at uh, Sonoma Valley. That is, I shouldn't, I shouldn't call it Valley of the Moon Hospice anymore. It's a hospice by the bay. Right. Well, Molly Bourne, it's been a pleasure to have you on, uh, especially. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll look for all the good things that, to take place for you. And, of course, um, the growth is going to be tremendous, and so we're going to we're going to be hearing a lot about hospice and by yes. hospice by the bay. Yeah. So thanks for joining us well, today. Well, thank you very much. Good, good. Well, that's a, a wonderful thing that we're so happy to have uh, Molly to talk about the importance of hospice and the kind of work that they represent. Because so many of our our listeners, when they do call in, they didn't manage to call in today, but when they do call in, they talk about being upset with the healthcare system, not getting what the healthcare system. Conceivably, they hope the healthcare system will give them some of what they hope for, and yet so often as they, when they complain, at least to me, they say, well, I'm not getting this, I'm not getting that. And so much of what they need, of course, is the kind of care that hospice does offer to everyone with, with, without the, whether, whatever their ability to pay. So that's a very important thing. So I, I guess I'm hoping that all of our listeners who care about health care in America will keep their eye out for hospice and all the hospice uh, uh, fundraising that they need and so on and, and pay attention to it. So that said, um, next week our, our your host will be Adam Lehman will be back and joining us at Health, health Matters. I have got some business I have to attend to. So, and before that, though, I wanted to mention, as I told you at the beginning of the show, tonight at the Sonoma Valley Library, uh, there's a meeting of the uh, Sonoma Valley Campaign for the Department of Peace. And the uh, I'm going to read to a, from a letter from the uh, Melissa Mulgahy, who is uh, the one of the, the, the major organizers here in uh, Sonoma Valley toward the Sonoma Valley Campaign. She says, hi, all. The campaign for the U.S. US Department of Peace is an inclusive, nonpartisan, proactive, solution-oriented oriented grassroots movement. Wow, it's a long sentence. That continues to grow nationwide through our states in California, locally in our town of Sonoma. We have more than 65 congressional co-sponsors and more than 58 student peace alliance chapters on high school and college campuses. We may even help organize a chapter of the Sonoma Valley High School. We have endorsements from 32 cities and counties across the county, country, Atlanta, Chicago, Detroit, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Sebastopol, Albany, California, is expecting city council endorsement in March. Anybody is welcome to attend and support. Call or email for carpooling. Locally, our very important next step is to bring this bill, H.R. 808, to our city council. We want the Sonoma City Council to adopt a resolution in support of this legislation that will establish a U.S. Department of Peace and Nonviolence. By endorsing this legislation, 
as a community, we are sending out a message to our community that we want and declare and commit to making peace and nonviolence a focus and priority of our community. We have over 100 local members signed on indicating interest in building a culture of peace in Sonoma Valley. Let's not wait for another unfortunate, unnecessary death, domestic violence, gang violence, drug, alcohol abuse, child abuse. Let's come together, take action, and help initiate a cultural shift toward nonviolence through prevention, education, and alternatives. Join us at our next library meeting Wednesday, that's today, March the 12th, 2008, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., and see how you can participate. Please invite any others that you know would be interested in pursuing this vision with us. Students are always welcome. Daphne Matthews and I have already met with Ken Brown and plan to meet with other council members. Let us know if you have a personal relationship of any of the other council members as soon as possible. So that's our message from the Department of Peace again this evening at the library, 6.30. I encourage all of our listeners to attend and join in that process. Always a part of our thoughts here at Health Matters. And again, I'm, as I said before, uh, next week you'll be uh, your host will be uh, Adam Lehman. I'll be away, and I'll probably be back uh, the following week. I'd say probably because I don't know for sure. Uh, but we do have uh, we have our, always an interest in what your thoughts are in terms of what our what you'd like our program to be. Remember, you can read write us at ksvyhealth at aol dot com. That's our email address. You're always welcome to call me at my office nine nine six. 4511. Always happy to hear your comments because we want to serve the community as best we can. Also, I want to let our listeners know that uh, Jeff Lowe, the local relationship counselor, is starting a new program. He called me yesterday and he's going to be doing a show on relationships. He'll be on our program soon to talk about that new show. So, if you cannot pacify your spirit and you let your mind be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. To be healthy, you must avoid anger and worry, but keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine. That's the basic book of Chinese medicine. And don't forget our Health Matters motto, healthcare isn't a noun, it's a verb. Always happy to have you with us. Thanks for tuning in again this day, and we'll look for you again next week and every week you can. Always happy to join with you for this important topic. Thanks for tuning in today. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program dedicated to health and well-being. 